the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. to an all-new New Generation Declassified here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we go back in time and we go back to the old days of the WWF. We go back to the New Generation era. We go back and talk about some of the things that you should go out of your way to watch, some of the great matches in history, some of the great moments you forgot or never experienced, uh, but this week, it is a hodgepodge in every sense of the word. Uh, literally looking for things to uh, talk about in the new generation world that seems like it's not uh, that hard anymore because, <laughs> quite frankly, uh, everything seems to revolve around the new generation in some way, shape, or form in the wrestling world. And uh, a couple things that passed by me this week I'd like to talk about. Um, including the fact that as I'm recording this, it is the actual anniversary of the 1994 King of the Ring, where we all know the great Owen Hart, the King of Hearts, was crowned that night at the King of the Ring. And if you didn't know their man, the King of Hearts could possibly be the greatest heel of the new generation era. Of course, that's up for debate. I think he was. Uh, maybe I'm uh, I'm completely wrong, but I think I'd be in the majority of people who agree that the King of Hearts definitely had the best heel run of the new generation era. Uh, but also the 94 King of the Ring features uh, Diesel's first world heavyweight championship battle with Bret Hart. They'd go on to have many pay-per-view main events over the uh, time that the two of them were in the WWF together, especially with Diesel on top as the champion the next year. Uh, the King of the Ring 94 has become pretty infamous uh, when you think about the ridiculous Art Donovan commentary uh, and why in God's name he was on the uh, commentary checklist for that show. Still a mystery, but nonetheless, it was in Baltimore. He's a, a huge legend in the city of Baltimore for his football years. Uh, the, but the 94 King of the Ring, uh, what a, a long and, and deep card it was. Um, but we all remember Owen Hart. You know, I don't think a lot of us remember off the top of our heads that the tag team championship match of that evening was the Head Shrinkers taking on Crush and Yokozuna. I really don't think many people remember that at all. Uh, or the fact that the main event was actually Rowdy Roddy Piper and Jerry the King Lawler. Now, we have talked about that before on the show, but it's really nothing to write home about. It's a very long match. It's uh, not the best. There's a lot of uh, long uh, rest holds, and, and they're really trying to go out of their way to actually wrestle in this, where when you have two guys like a Roddy Piper and a Jerry Lawler, you don't need all the, uh, the, the catch-as-catch-can wrestling maneuvers. You can use a lot of the gaga and a lot of the, uh, you know, the taunting and the, uh, the, the kind of the little things to make the match big, but they, they gave them the main event even over the, uh, the championship match, and it makes the whole entire card kind of suffer 
in the long run, but then you also had a lot of injuries and you had a lot of seconds on this show that uh, played into the fact that, you know, certain guys weren't in certain matches and the big one being Shawn Michaels. Uh, he was kind of out of action that summer. He'd always kind of take the summer off. Um, so he was in the corner of diesel and where did that play into the long-term plans? You know, this is also the summer where there is no undertaker. So the undertaker is not on this show. This was all in the buildup to the undertaker versus undertaker match at SummerSlam 94 later in the, uh, the timeline in the, the great United center, the opening of the United center, basically. And that was only about two months after this show. But yeah, Gorilla Monsoon, Randy Savage, and the great Art Donovan on commentary from the Baltimore Arena, the famed Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, of course, live on pay-per-view. This pay-per-view buy rate was a .73. So, you know, people were watching uh, not as much as the previous year, not as much as even, you know, the, a couple years down the line, but still, people were still watching and it was still a time where, you know, we were kind of invested in what was going on with uh, the the storylines at the time. Uh, so let's just kind of run down the card here. Uh, I was trying to have the qualifiers up as well, but I don't know if I can grab that quick here. Let's see as I'm looking through it in real time. But the, uh, the, the storylines basically, you know, were the uh, bitterness building inside of Owen Hart, you know, obviously he turned on Brett in January. They had their match at WrestleMania. And I, I have to be honest with you, it kind of took me as a fan uh, uh, by surprise that they had a guy like Owen Hart um, win. You know, you didn't see it coming, but when it happened, you then realized, you know, it really, uh, it made sense. It absolutely made perfect sense. And, um, you know, the one thing I loved about the buildup to the King of the Ring, especially in the 93, 94, 95 years, was the qualifiers. So you'd see random qualifying matches on uh, pay-per-view in 95. You'd see them on Monday Night Raw. You'd see them on Superstars. Uh, you know, you got your Mabel, and <laughs> Mabel versus Pierre qualifier. You know, Bam Bam Bigelow uh, Sparky Plug qualifier. Maybe they weren't going to win. Maybe the guy, you, you know, you thought wasn't going to win. But, you know, it didn't really matter. It was just to get to where they needed to get. Uh, Lex Luger uh, faced Jeff Jarrett in a qualifier. Crush came out to ringside, fought with Luger. Jarrett won the match by countout and advanced into the tournament. Owen Hart was scheduled to wrestle Earthquake on May 23rd, 1994 for a spot in the tournament. But the plan was changed after Earthquake left the WWF. To explain Earthquake's absence, the WWF showed footage of Yokozuna wrestling Earthquake and claimed that Earthquake had sustained an injury. So Doink the Clown took Earth Earthquake's place, but Owen Hart won the match to qualify for the tournament. So the King of Hearts and that epic heel run of Owen Hart started with a victory over Doink as a replacement for Earthquake. And that, I mean, I guess an Earthquake victory would have been a pretty um, impressive one. You know, that would have been a pretty good one for Owen Hart uh, over Doink. Then you have another one, uh, one, two, three kid and Adam bomb. Uh, the one, two, three kid one after Quang attempted to interfere. Quang accidentally spat green mist into Adam bomb's face, allowing the kid to get the victory. And in the final qualifying match, the gigolo Jimmy Del Rey was originally scheduled to face Tatanka in a match televised on Monday night raw on May 30th, 1994, but crush took Del Rey's place 
And uh, the kayfabe reason given was that Crush's manager, Mr. Fuji, made a deal with Jim Cornette, Del Rey's manager, to allow Crush to compete. The match ended in a double countout after Fuji and Chief J Strongbow, who was seconding Tatanka, got involved. This led to a lumberjack match on Monday Night Raw the following week. Tatanka won the match in the spot in the tournament after Lex Luger gained revenge for Crush's interference in his match by attacking Crush. Okay, small little um you know uh rice drops along the trail right and that is uh the tatanka and lex luger storyline in you know kind of crossing the line there and building to what we would see in uh SummerSlam 94 and i know myself and husey still to this day cannot believe what happens at SummerSlam 94 but as we say that is a different story for a different day uh the head shrinkers as i mentioned on this show they take on yokozuna and crush uh but this one the the little interesting wrinkle is that captain lou is back in the corner of the samoan family the head shrinkers obviously he was the manager of the wild samoans they started to bring him out uh a little bit on commentary and he was talking about the wild samoans and then they bring the head shrinkers out and he would kind of say that they needed a little better direction so that's how captain lou kind of got back into the uh the ringside uh, management for a short time in 1994. Uh, yeah, Diesel and Bret Hart was the uh, the world title match. You know, the big thing here was, again, planting the seed for the King of Heart. Jim the Evil Nightheart is the uh, backup for Bret Hart in his corner, which, I mean, me, you know me, big Anvil fan, loved it to death. He was the one to kind of uh, counteract Shawn Michaels, and it was perfectly executed uh, who would have thought that he would turn later in the night and help Owen win, you know, and he cost Brett the match and you kind of were like, Oh, that's weird. Why would he get involved and cost Brett the match in that manner? Well, it was to protect him from losing. So Owen could eventually get the, uh, the victory over Brett, which, you know, of course didn't happen, but again, we will cover that at a different time. The matches on the King of the ring, itself uh we want to look at the brackets um razor ramon defeats bam bam bigelow um in eight minutes and 24 seconds irs defeats mabel in five minutes and 34 seconds owen hart pins tatanka in eight minutes and 18 seconds and the one two three kid beats jeff jarrett moving on to the next round you got the one two three kid losing to owen hart and Razor Ramon beating Erwin R. Scheister leading up to the finals, which Owen Hart defeats Razor Ramon in a six minute and 35 uh, second match. Not a long match, but still you get uh, 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 Jim the Evil Nightheart running out to ringside and attacking uh, Razor Ramon, making it look like he was checking on him at first to, you know, kind of take him off guard and, and beats him up on the outside, throws him back in and, we get the King of Hearts and the uh, the great coronation speech of Owen Hart at the end. Um, you know, now by declaring himself the King of Hearts, just such a great moment in time. Hard to believe that it was that long ago already. I mean, it's uh, it, this stuff to me feels like it happened yesterday because I think I, I play it over in my head so many times and yearn for that kind of wrestling to be uh, what it is now. But twenty eight years, damn, that is just uh, unbelievable that it was that long ago. And uh, one of those things, it doesn't matter. It can be 128 years. It'll always be iconic. It'll always be absolutely amazing. And we will relive it in 128 years, I'm sure. 
because uh, that's how great those superstars were. Another funny thing I saw in the Bret Hart, Owen Hart uh, story was, you know, and this is one thing that really gets my go in this day and age is the over analytics of everything as it relates to uh, sports, baseball, football, you know, everybody is so numbers driven. I actually saw a breakdown of the WrestleMania 10 match between Bret Hart and Owen Hart, where somebody actually goes out of their way to break down each move and and um, the match offense, the strike rate, the reversal rate, the uh, uh, the the big offense, the taunts, the fouls. I, I'll give you a rundown. If you've ever wondered in the 20 minutes and 21 seconds that the iconic opener of WrestleMania 10 had from a, um, uh, um, analytic point of view, um, Bret Hart, contrary to what I had believed only had, uh, 39% of the match offense of WrestleMania 10. Did you know that leaving, uh, the 61% of it going to Owen Hart, uh, Bret, a impressive 32% strike down rate and a 29% reversal rate. Now, that pales in comparison to Owen Hart's 34% reversal rate. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Um, Owen's strike down rate was 14%. Um, in the match itself, Owen lands 14 strikes to Brett's 19. Uh, Brett's, <laughs> Brett has nine grapples as opposed to Owen's eight grapples. Uh, Brett has two dives as opposed to Owen's one dive. Um, <laughs> Owen has a submission hold on for approximately 150 seconds of the match. And uh, uh, Brett has it for only 110 seconds of the match. So that seems to be uh, an interesting twist of fate in terms of reversals. We have 24 for Brett and 20 for Owen. Pin attempts, we have 13 for Brett. And six for Owen. And if you know your Bret Hart history, he is a master of the different pin attempts. So I can see that being uh, exactly where the hitman uh, needed it to be. Now, this one, I don't get fouls. What's, what's a foul in, in wrestling? Is that like a rule break, I guess? Uh, eight to Bret's zero uh, for Owen. So I don't know what that means. Taunts. So is that turning around to the crowd and, and yelling something? Owen had eight of those to Brett having one. They say big offense. Uh, they were tied at 26 apiece. Finishers, they both attempted it once. And the result was a win for Owen and a loss for Brett Hart. Well, I will be damned. I cannot believe that uh, somebody would take the time to look at this. And, you know, you can take your numbers and you can take all the stuff in the world I don't think you should apply it to anything that's not using it to this day. Uh, you know, AEW wants to use records. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Whatever. Um, this analytics and stuff, keep this out of, of my generation. Keep it here in 2022. Do not bring it back to the 90s. It makes no sense. Who cares? 28 years later, how many strikes Bret Hart got on Owen Hart in a match uh, that happened for 20 minutes in 1994. That is just uh, ridiculous that somebody would take the time to do that. And uh, again, I just thought it was funny that I'm watching this here on the day, uh, 28 years later, 
that Owen Hart wins the um, the King of the Ring. But um, just you know, come on, get a life. I mean, that is just that's that's pathetic to take that much time to to do that. Uh, but also, you know, I guess it's also nice in 2022 how much love Owen's getting, and you got to tip your cap to AEW for that. You know, the Owen Hart tournament and his family being involved again, and you're seeing them on social media a lot more and doing some great things. But uh, I'm going to play at the end. I think I'm going to try at least to uh, to add Owen's speech at the um, the uh, the platform for his coronation. I just love it so much that uh, I think it deserves a little bit more love from all the fans as well. And all the, the memories that we all had of Owen Hart, um, you know, who also uh, the anniversary of his passing just went by not too long ago as well. So, you know, this time of the year is definitely a very Owen Hart centric time of the year. Uh, but I also don't want to, um, uh, look past a couple of the passings that also uh, took place in the last few days. And that is first, we're going to start with uh, referee, Tim white, uh, Tim white definitely uh, really started to pop up more around the new generation era as a referee. Uh, we know Tim white, uh, his history that he was Andre the giants, basically his right hand man and his handler and uh, drove him around everywhere, made sure he was comfortable as they uh, they traveled and went from place to place. But uh, after Andre's passing, he started to take on more of a on-screen role, and that was as a referee. And I have to say, Tim White was one of the better referees of that era. And again, another argument of today's wrestling is, you know, the referees that kind of gain the uh, attention of the fans when we're not really supposed to notice the referees, you know, and I don't agree with the notion that we don't need to know their names. I, I'm fine with knowing the names, you know, you know, an umpire's name in baseball because they show you the graphic at the beginning of the um, uh, the first inning. But, you know, the, the referees of the past era were truly, truly artists and, and were absolutely, you know, seen but not heard. Uh, there but not interfering and yes cross-ups happen and yes mix-ups happen but it is quite uh, the egregious um, hogging of attention by referees in today's wrestling and probably even in the last 10 years you know I go back to Slick Johnson with WCW and TNA you know where he was just absolutely trying to take the shine off of the wrestlers move it over to himself. And it's like, I, I don't get what we're trying to accomplish here. And I've seen Earl Hebner use as an argument to uh, counteract those that say, you know, today's referees are a little more uh, flamboyant and a little more uh, attention starving. Earl just had a different style to him that the others didn't. I don't think it was anything that was more than um, – he screwed up more than he did anything else. And it wasn't something I'm sure he was trying to do. He, he was out of place a lot of times, not getting in the way or not, you know, um, you know, uh, milking a, a two count or a three count, you know, as after the Montreal screw job, if you go to an indie show that Earl Hebner's in and people are uh, chanting, you screwed Brett, you know, for a time he would take off his uh, referee shirt to reveal another one that says, you damn right. I did. Well, he's cashing in on it. But at that point, he was such uh, a well-known uh, personality. He kind of superseded being a ref and people just uh, looked at him as a kind of uh, special attraction. And that's what TNA ended up doing with him. They used him as a special attraction in the, uh, the later half of his career and even seen him 
at Slammiversary with his son Brian paying tribute to his brother Dave, who we'll get to in a second. Uh, but Tim White, you know, just uh, all from what we've heard, just a great guy. Um, I was listening to uh, an awesome story um, from, you know, my, my big buddy there, Glenn Jacobs, about, um, you know, going to the friendly tap and the, uh, the, the drama that would ensue whenever they'd have a brawl in there. And, you know, they basically would get out of there in one piece and break maybe a pool table. But Tim White would send the office uh, an invoice for 15 grand. And the next time you went to the friendly tap, there were brand new flat screen TVs and, you know, all new countertops and uh, made the place look very fancy. So uh, you just hear a lot of great stuff about Tim White. And it's it's very sad uh, that he died. He was very young. So it's, um, you know, not a uh, it wasn't the great time for new generation era and before referees this week. Cause also the passing of Dave Hebner took place, uh, I think a day before uh, Tim White passed away, but there had been murmurs about the health of Dave Hebner and that he was not doing well over the last probably year or so. And uh, I crossed paths with Dave Hebner a couple of times. And the first one being in the new generation years in 1996 in February at the Meadowlands arena at my first uh, house show that I did go to um, just standing, waiting to get into the arena area. So we're in the, you know, the, the box office and we're into like the front loading zone where the fans would come in. And uh, all of a sudden, you, you know, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me. And I turned around and I went, it's Dave Hebner because I knew who he was from growing up as a kid, as a referee. And, um, he said, hi, shook my hand and kept going. And I wish I could have got his autograph, but I didn't have anything on me yet. Cause we didn't even get in to buy programs at that point. We were still like on the inside part waiting to go into the next area of the Meadowlands. And I just, I loved the Meadowlands and the layout that it, it had. And I, I wish they, they still did shows there. I mean, going to shows at the Meadowlands till about 2010, I believe. Oh, it was such a great uh, place to, to see a show. If you had good seats, if you had shitty seats, it was a absolute drag and a horrible time to go uh, watch a show. But if you had floor seats or even the second level, you were just you were set. And I've talked about that show before. You know, I snuck down with my friends to ringside and Todd Pattengill was sitting at ringside with the his kids and they were at a, they weren't at their seats. So we sat at the seats for a minute, got to watch. Uh, the beginning of Ahmed Johnson versus Tatanka and got to see Ahmed Johnson up close. It was like uh, looking at a building in the ring. He was so big and uh, just never forget, you know, crossing paths like that with Dave Hebner and getting the chance to tell him that. And I think 2016 or 2017 in Richmond, when uh, John, my two man power trip uh, cohort, and I promoted a show down in the Virginia area. I've been living here for a few years, but it was in the Richmond area and we were going to be emceeing a uh, dinner for a fan fest that was coming to Richmond. And about uh, two weeks before the promoter pulled out and uh, was, you know, just leaving everybody in a lurch and not refunding money. And we had a bunch of promoters that uh, had plane tickets for wrestlers and, you know, especially in us too, we were working with Arn Anderson that weekend. And how are we going to tell Arn Anderson, you know, that the uh, plane ticket was going to be canceled and, he wasn't going to be able to make it. You know, we probably still would have owed him the money. And um, we decided to get our heads together. And I started to call around like crazy to find us a venue. And I did. And uh, we had a great little show. It was uh, Arn and JJ and Ron Simmons and the franchise Shane Douglas. 
And I think maybe Kevin Sullivan. I can't remember if he was on this one or not. And um, uh, the Hebners, Dave and uh, Earl, were both there. They're from Richmond. They uh, contacted John and I and asked if they could come to the show. So we gave them their own uh, table space. And I got a chance to go over and meet them and, and shake both their hands. And I was able to tell uh, Dave about that experience. And he, you know, was very gracious, but he was not in great health then either. So that was about four or five years ago. And he was not doing that well then. So uh, the fact he was able to hold on was miraculous, I'm sure, for his family. But he just was not in great health even uh, a few years back in Richmond. So very sad to see uh, one part of the twin referees of the <laughs> infamous twin referee angle on the 1988 main event with Hogan and Andre. Uh, very sad for Earl, very sad for the Hebner family. So uh, don't want to end it on a sad note, but it's absolutely uh, tragic when you lose two guys from the same, you know, basically the same brotherhood. And that's the referees. Uh, Tim White and Dave Hebner and both guys with stellar reputations, uh, very well liked and doing multiple things, not just being a referee, but like I said, Tim White being Andre's uh, right hand man and, uh, you know, his basically, uh, you know, jockey <laughs> for and for lack of a better term for so many years. And then Dave Hebner basically being a referee turned agent turned house show uh, extraordinaire, you know, count the money kept track of the merch and it was um yeah it's quite the time you know those 90s guys they did double duty and all those agents who were running those shows were uh really working their butts uh off and fingers to the bone so hats off to them but hats off to everyone from this new generation era and hard to believe 28 years have passed since that great owen hart speech at the 1994 king of the ring which is what i will leave you with today so we will get out of here, kind of like a fast-paced, quicker episode. Uh, but I implore you to please support uh, the new generation declassifieds uh, host here, the Chadster, by going to belowthecollar.com. Please check out uh, the two T-shirts I have up there right now. I have the Chadster T-shirt and the IB Exclusives logo. Uh, every shirt goes back into the uh, the Chadster's inspiration to continue podcasting. So I uh, would love for you to own a Chadster or IB exclusive shirt. You can go to IBExclusives.com, check out the um, uh, stellar lineup of signings I have coming up there. Also, if you're interested in the perfectly rated shirt, the shirt made famous by the uh, absolutely hilarious and stellar podcast, Get My Go, which I am just a small piece of the Get My Go puzzle. I've got two of the original run perfectly rated t-shirts left I have one medium. I have one extra large. I printed these my own. I did not go the one hour tees or pro wrestling tees or below the collar. I didn't go that route for uh, perfectly rated. I wanted to manage it in house. I've sold all but these last two of the original run and I would like to get them to a new home. It was nice to see how fast they did move after I announced the final uh, blowout clearance to get rid of them. And uh, these two would like to go to a nice home. One medium one extra large come and get them while they're still here and uh, you will not be disappointed. It's a pretty damn good shirt. I have to say I, I wear it uh, very proudly. It's a, a great design and it means something to me and uh, very thankful that the get my go universe has embraced the perfectly rated saying, because I know a lot of us 
Can't go without saying it now, and that's uh, pretty good. So, you know, it had a lasting legacy. So, uh, enjoy this Owen Hart promo, the final speech of the 1994 King of the Ring winner on this show uh, before we got (laughs) – really, we weren't done yet. We still had uh, the main event, but still this speech should have ended it. They should have faded to black at the the closing – of the final words. And Oh, if you want to follow me, it's at chat EMV on Twitter and at IB exclusives on Instagram. Can't forget that. So, uh, I will catch you next week for new generation declassified. Uh, I would say I'll catch you on the flip side, but I want you to hear this first. Uh, so I'll just leave you with this, uh, rest in peace. Owen Hart and long live the King. taking over this coronation ceremony and he's got the power of the anvil standing right there to allow him to do just that he's got Tom down on one knee now the tremendous cape look at the anvil and the rocket together I mean they're family but we all know what's going on this is many dimensions well let's remember Randy Savage that they were a tag team combination please foundation. We know how tight they were. I mean, look at this. Can you believe what we're seeing at the time that we're seeing it going on right now? All the way live right here from the Baltimore Arena, the King of the Ring 1994. His own heart, the rocket. Well, we saw a miscarriage of justice last year when Brett the Hitman's coronation was interrupted by the self-professed king, Jerry Lawler, and now we're seeing a disgusting coronation here. May I present the 1994 King of the Ring. Ladies and gentlemen, wait a minute here. My first proclamation as king is to be from this day forward known as the King of Hearts. The King of Hearts. And I want you people to remember it with respect for the King of Hearts. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.